the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to that show, Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I am your host, Nick DiGilio. I'm a podcaster, a comedy writer, and performer, graduate of Second City, a Saturday Night Live expert and historian, and each week we will look back at everything SNL, the best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons, full cast, behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't, but with every episode, I'll always prove that that tired cliche that you hear all the time, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. All right. Uh, An interesting, um, you know, genesis to this episode, how it started and what it's going to end up being. Um, This is episode number 43, and it is entitled Norman Bates Hosts SNL. But it didn't start out as me talking about this specific episode in which actor Anthony Perkins first-time hosts, only-time hosted, uh, Saturday Night Live, um, and talking about it and playing back a bunch of uh, moments from that episode, which is a really interesting episode on its own. Well, it started out as uh, an episode that I was going to focus on weird... I love to talk about weird sketches. I love to talk about sketches that are really just out there, stuff that doesn't work. Um, And, uh, you know, I've talked about a whole episode about the 1250 sketch and the 1250 or the 10 to 1 sketch, as they call it. The 10 to 1 or the 1250 sketch is the sketch that shows up at the end of the at the end of the episode when Lauren and the producers and the writers and the cast and everybody thinks, well, shit, everybody's turned it off. We're well past weekend update. The second musical performance is over at this point. Either are drunk, their people are drunk or they are asleep or they've turned it off. So let's put the weird shit on at the very end of the show. Those sketches at the end of the show, which are you know normally weird or not funny, or they bombed in dress rehearsal, or they were just they fit no place else in the world of comedy. Well, you put them in that slot, and a lot of legendary sketches have come out of that slot. And to, I mean, Wayne's World started as a twelve fifty. Stefan started as a twelve fifty. Uh, the very first episode of this podcast. The very first episode, number one, is all about the potato chip sketch, which is an insane sketch that Will Forte and his writing partner wrote, which featured Will Forte, uh, Jason Sudeikis, and host Blake Lively arguing about someone eating a potato chip. And it's one of the weirdest, most surreal, most out there, and craziest sketches that's ever seen the light of day on SNL. And I love talking about weird sketches. Well, I was going to do an episode entirely about a sketch that occurs in uh, this particular uh, episode of SNL, and it's the Butt County Dance Party. Um, And it's a very strange, weird train wreck of a 1250 episode. I mean, a total train wreck where something weird was going on, and it's just, I'll get into it when when, when we get to that point. But upon going back and looking at the sketch, you know, preparing to do an entire episode about the absolute weirdness of that 1250 sketch, the... The Butt County Dance Party, as I said, we'll get to it. I started to look back and rewatch the episode and thought, man, this is a pretty interesting episode. There are a lot of notable things that happened during this episode and surrounding this episode. Um, it's also interesting from the point of view that Anthony Perkins, um, who is uh, known mostly for one role, uh, that would be Norman Bates in Psycho. Uh, has done many other roles. He's, you know, obviously a, you know, a, a very good stage actor. He's been nominated for Tony. He's been nominated for Oscars. He's done television work. The guy worked all over the t- all over the place and all all the time. But there was a period of time when he was just known as Norman Bates, and he at one point had to embrace that. Uh, but you know, doing comedy, live comedy, was not something that Anthony Perkins was known for. And as I watched the episode. And all the weirdness happened, and there were some serious uh, moments in this episode where you could see 
the notorious partying and the cocaine usage that was happening backstage was pouring out onto the onto the stage, especially during the Butt County Dance Party segment. We'll get to that that, that scene later, that sketch later. But and, and, and just how Anthony Perkins, who was not known as a comedian, who was only known as playing Norman Bates and other weirdo roles, uh, who was kind of an outcast, but known by actors as a great actress, actor, a stage actor, what's he going to do on Saturday Night Live? How the hell is he going to perform? And he performed weirdly and admirably um, and very professionally. Um, at a time when the show had taken off and become its own thing and become this counterculture juggernaut in its first season. So I thought, what the hell, let's talk about the entire episode. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the time that Norman Bates hosted SNL. That's Anthony Perkins. It was on March 13th, 1976, season one, episode 16. So we are 16 episodes into the very first season of Saturday Night Live. And at this point, it's become a cultural hit. At this point, 16 episodes in, 16 weeks or so in, um, you know, people are aware of it. People are now watching it. The younger people, the hip people, um, it's starting to grab the attention of the public. The stars of uh, the show, the Not Ready for Primetime players, are starting to individually make dents in the world of culture and in the world of, of entertainment. Um, and uh, the show is starting to be popular. It's starting to be very popular. And, uh, you know, among that young countercultural 70s crowd that did a lot of drinking and did a lot of drugs and did a lot of partying and liked their weird comedy, the show was a success at this point. So when Anthony Perkins hosted it, um, you know, people were watching it. Now, the musical guest that night was Betty Carter. And the less said about Betty Carter, the better. Now, she was an, a, a jazz singer who um, evidently was having an off night that night. Um, I think Anthony Perkins had suggested that she do the show, and I think it was at his, not insistence, but he was like, I would love it if she, he, he's, he was a fan of Betty Carter, um, who was known as a, you know, a, 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 a sort of a, a doo-wopping, scatting jazz singer. Um, and they had had, you know, like Al Jarreau had appeared on the show before, and other jazz, you know, uh, the, jazz, the, the Jazz Preservation Society had appeared on the show. So there had been other forms of jazz and jazz singers and people across the time who have shown up, but she was having a bad night. So the less said about the musical guest, um, the better. But it was the very unpopular and pretty much unknown, um, un unless you are a huge, uh, deep-cut jazz aficionado, uh, Betty Carter. So we won't talk about her. We'll skip that. But she did do her musical numbers. And, uh, and at one point, Anthony Perkins and one of the Muppets introduced her. But your musical guest was Betty Carter. So that was your episode. Uh, episode uh, 16 of season one, March 13th, 1976. Um, so again, we'll get to the Butt County Dance Party, which is the 1250 sketch at the end that I was going to do an entire episode about. But let's talk about this episode. Um, it's a very interesting, it's very interesting. Now, someone wrote in the AV Club about the episode and summed it up this way uh, with some of the stuff that I think is pretty interesting. And we're going to go through it in order, talk about the sketches, talk about some of the cast members, kind of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes um, and how, in general, how the episode has some incredible moments. And there's some notable things about it historically that happened. But... Um, there were a lot of weird articles that were written uh, at, at the time before Anthony Perkins hosted Saturday Night Live. Again, he could not shake the Norman Bates thing. Um, he kept getting roles that were that were offered to him where he played complete weirdos or whack jobs or, you know, like complete variations on the Norman Bates thing. And it's not like he had, didn't embrace them. You know, um, he played Jimmy Pearsall in Fear Strikes Out. You know, he's played weirdos in a lot of movies in the past and continued to play weirdos and never really shook Norman Bates. And in fact, later in his career, he embraced it. He directed a couple of Psycho sequels. He appeared in Psycho 2, 3, and 4. Um, you know, it became like, after a while, it was like, okay, I'm going to have to embrace the fact that I'm Norman Bates, despite the fact that, you know, I am, I, I am, I am a studied and experienced and award-winning theater actor. I've done New York stage. I've done television. The guy had range, but he just could not shake Norman Bates. And so this was right when he was still in the midst of that. Couldn't shake it. So, of course, there are a couple of sketches and some moments, including in his monologue, where he's got to acknowledge the fact that he's Norman Bates. And, in fact, the funniest sketch of the night involves him playing Norman Bates. But interesting, like, um, he took over for the role uh, of the psychiatrist, the lead, in Equus, like, on stage in New York when he... 
uh, was tapped to host. So he was doing stage in New York. Um, and, uh, and then he ends up like, you know, down the street uh, uh, in his opening monologue, swallowing flies and working with the Muppets and the reputation. We'll, we'll do an entire episode. I'll do an entire episode about the Muppets and Jim Henson's uh, um, <laughs> contribution to the world of Saturday Night Live during that first season. The Muppets were a horrible match, by the way, for SNL. For many, many, many reasons, which I will go into when I do an entire episode dedicated to the train wreck that was Jim Henson's Muppets on SNL. A bad idea. The cast hated it. The writers didn't like it. Lauren thought it would be kind of cool to bring out, you know, the Muppets. And the Muppets were best known for, um, you know, uh, Sesame Street at that time. And it was just before the Muppet show started. Uh, and, you know, they wanted to be hip and edgy, so they were doing drug humor and sex humor with the Muppets. And, yeah, and if you weren't old enough or if you've not, you don't remember it, it's as bad as it sounds. It's as bad an idea as it sounds. And the Muppets were particularly annoying in this episode, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, the episode does a pretty good job of balancing uh, its opportunities to exploit having a capable stage-trained actor host who can play different parts. Like at one point, he plays a theater therapist who sings Hello, Dolly! to his patient, Jane Curtin. We'll hear a little bit of that. He plays an office Lothario who's proposing to Gilda Radner that they have an affair. We'll hear a little bit of that later. He's a stern college professor with a, in a sketch with Lorraine Newman, who plays a sorority, her, her uh, sorority house like Airhead. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he really holds himself up. Uh, the monologue, uh, you know, in addition to the monologue that he does, which you'll hear part of, he also introduces a selection of fake trailers for cheesy horror movies that he was in. That he was in, and the and the writers of that, by the way, got such a kick out of it that they used it again a couple of years later when Christopher Lee hosted. So they did a bunch of mock trailers for Christopher Lee horror movies when he hosted. By the way, the Christopher Lee episode is fantastic. We'll get to that another time. Uh, but the jewel in the episode is the Norman Bates School of Hotel Management, um, where it's a commercial for this school. Uh, that uh, Norman Bates is advertising. Michael O'Donohue wrote it, and uh, it's a great, it's a great little sketch. It's a great sketch about uh, about him being Norman Bates. Uh, some stage actors wouldn't do what he did on stage. Would like Lawrence Olivier or Alec Guinness, these guys who are who are awarded stage actors, would they get on stage and kiss a pair of women's panties during the monologue or eat a fly during the monologue? Would they do some of the other goofy shit that they were asked to do? Would they even appear in a sketch as fucking weird as Butt County Dance Party? No, maybe they wouldn't. But he was game. He was game for anything uh, that they gave him. Um, so let's, uh, you know, so, so here's the deal. You're, you're not ready for primetime players. Your cast was Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Chevy Chase, Jane Curtin, Garrett Morris, Lorraine Newman, Gilda Radner, the original, the original cast. And this is season one, episode 16. So, uh, it's very interesting. Some of the observations, Chevy Chase does the cold open here as he did every episode, uh, in that first season where Chevy Chase would come out, do a wacky bit, introduce the show, do a fall, and say live from New York on Saturday night. He would always do the fall, say his name, and all that stuff. Uh, so Chevy Chase uh, seems noticeably frustrated through some of this, uh, some of this episode. and doesn't really show up a lot. He's not in it except update in the opening, really. Um, and you could see that the ego was getting a little bit out of control. Um, some of the interesting things, the opening credits. This was the first time in the opening credits uh, where the individual cast members were shown. They had pictures of each cast member. Up until this point, for the first 15 episodes, um, they were just listed on screen. They're not ready for primetime players. And you would just see a list of their names. You would not see individual pictures or headshots of each and every uh, not ready for primetime player. So this is the first episode where they're being individually you know, singled out, where their headshots are shown up because people were starting to recognize them. People were starting to watch the show, and they were becoming stars. So Lauren thought, okay, let's give them each their own card, their own picture, their own name, so that everybody knows who these people are. So this was the very first episode to do that. This was also the first episode that dropped the NBC part. So it's not NBC's Saturday night. It's Saturday night. So the credits were changed just 16 episodes in. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and those were really interesting changes that took place. Don Pardo, uh, still doing the hosting, but he in introduced each one and took more time with it. So you got to know those cast members. And this was the coming out party of the ready for primetime players, this show that did it. Um, you know, the cast, uh, seemed to be, uh, having a pretty good time. Some people were used heavily. Jane Curtin is really heavy in the first half of the show. Dan Aykroyd doesn't show up 
He does a voiceover at one point for the trailers and shows up at the end for the Butt County Dance Party. And Dan Aykroyd, I don't know if this is true or not, but Dan Aykroyd seems completely wasted. Uh, and I'm not saying wasted in terms of not enough material and he's not used in the show. I'm saying physically wasted. The voiceover stuff that you'll hear that he does for those fake horror trailers is completely out of control. So to me, it sounds like he was partying a little bit backstage. Belushi, uh, at the end, seems to be uh, sniffing his nose and wiping him, wiping, wiping under his nose a little bit too much during those things. Um, the Muppets, as I mentioned, uh, Plubus and Scred from the Muppets, uh, they basically hijack Anthony Perkins during the show. Uh, they make an appearance. That was the first time they made an appearance in a few weeks, and they pop up three separate times hijacking the show. Um, they were gone for a few weeks, and it seemed like a lot of the Saturday Night Live fans, and especially the production and the writers, they were happy about this. But then they were crammed in. I don't know whether they thought Anthony Perkins needed the Muppets because he was a stage actor and he was only Norman Bates, and they wanted to hedge their bets and play it safe by having the Muppets come in and save him. But they come in three separate times and hijack it. Uh, you get to update. Update's strong in this episode. Um, update was really strong. It was, st- was trying to find its own way. They were doing more production values. They had animated things in there at that time. Um, you'll hear Jim, John Belushi's very first desk segment um, that he would go on to do more. It was uh, March coming in like a lion and going out like a lamb. And this was the very first time he did a desk segment on Update, and it killed. And then he would do variations on that same character over and over and over again. Uh, Chris, uh, Gary Weiss. Uh, made a short film, and he had made a bunch of short films for it. Uh, Gary Weiss, I thought, was like a a, a really um, subpar Albert Brooks replacement. They were trying to do wacky short films that were made by New York film artists and people uh, making short films, and this was all about a bunch of people in New York with their pets, and Gary Weiss made a, a series of short films that would be showcased on Saturday Night Live in an effort to do, you know, to vary the short films, not just Albert Brooks, but this guy's films, I always found annoying. I never found them funny. I always found them to be forced and not very well done. And uh, so Gary Weiss's short film is in there. A Killer Bee makes an appearance. So you can see John Belushi be pissed off about the fact that he had to be dressed up like a bee. Uh, there is a fan film. They did, an episode, they did a bunch of episodes where people could send in their videos or their home movies. And they would be shown on Saturday Night Live. So you got some animated peanuts that was sent in by viewer Phil Vandekar. So that was another weird experiment that SNL did in the early days. So all of that shows up. Um, and, uh, you know, the first half of the show is actually kind of strong. The second half d- decreasingly becomes worse. It seems like the cast is less interested. It seems like the, the drugs were kicking in, quite frankly, by the second half of the show. And the second half of the show starts to teeter into badness and then becomes an absolute train wreck. So by the end of the show and the Butt County Dance Party, everybody seems mildly fucked up and wasted. The drugs, I believe, have kicked in. Uh, the technical stuff, there was, there's huge technical issues that happen. It seems maybe even the staff and the guys running the tech and the sound and the video and some of the effects that they were supposed to do were screwing up. The show turns into a train wreck in the second half. But the guy who stands out above everything is Anthony Perkins, the guy who we thought was only going to be able to do Norman Bates, and he does variations on that a little bit in the show and actually plays Norman Bates at one point. But let's go through this, the, the episode. And again, you can get these episodes. You can find them on Peacock. You can look for them online. This one's uh, out there. Again, uh, March 13th, 1976, Season 1, Episode 16. The cold open, Chevy Chase is sitting at a desk, and he's talking about letters that he's received where they say that the show is not good, the cold open is so on and so forth. And so... This is a a very meta before meta sketch, acknowledging some of the things, uh, some of the lazy writing and the lazy performing on Saturday Night Live. So here is some self-referential comedy happening while the while the show is happening. So here's some meta comedy. Here's your cold open from the episode with Chevy Chase, who at this point does every cold open and ends all the cold opens with a fall. So here it is. Hi, I'm Chevy Chase from the uh, uh, Saturday Night Show. You know, uh, we get a lot of letters. I'm kind of stepping out of character here just to talk to you for a second. Um, (laughs) Most of them are very favorable uh, toward the show, and uh, people seem to enjoy what we're doing, and uh, the great majority of them are, and some of them are not so favorable. But uh, recently we've been getting a batch of letters that have been kind of complaining. they complain that because we're a 90-minute live show every week and we have to turn out the comedy 
fill up every week, but sometimes we just gratuitously fill up time, pad things, uh, <laughs> wing things, don't we? That we're not tight. And, and I, frankly, I, I take exception to this. I'm, and I, <laughs> I'm offended by it. Uh, this show is tight. I mean, I'm not the only one. I'm sure that the writers uh, feel the way I do. Every word is in its place. Every word is, 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 uh, is, uh, <laughs> what is it, rehearsed. Uh, we, the idea that we draw things out, that we milk things, that, we, that we're trying to fill, uh, uh, fill for time, we're, we're never going to do that on this show. And, uh, and uh, I mean... The writers, I, I mean, I don't want to mention them. I mean, and well, Ann Beats and Michael O'Donoghue and uh, Tom Schiller and Mary Miller, Marion Miller and Alan's wife, Belle, Franklin Davis, Herb Sargent, Rosie Michaels. You know, I mean, even Lauren. I mean, the point is, this, this kind of a thing offends us. You don't seem to realize how much goes into putting a show like this down. And one does have to be tight, and one does have to reconcile. I'll be right <laughs> All I'm trying to say is, you know, unless you're doing it yourself, it's unnecessary to write that kind of a letter. We, you know, I'm responsible for this particular piece. You may have noticed that. Uh, uh, no, no, I don't mean this, but I mean for the openings of the show. My host openings are cohesive. They're they're brief. They're to the point. It's always tight. And uh, we, we never wing it. This would be cheap. It would be cheap to just suddenly uh, 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 extemporaneousize. I mean, uh, so uh, I just wanted to say that, and we're going to get to the opening now. I'm going to do the fall and the, announce the show. But I just sort of wanted to get that off my chest, and I guess off everybody else's chest. So let's get down to the... Yeah, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. <laughs> There are many ways to go with, with a show. You can either go loose or you can go tight. This is a live show. Everything has to be timed perfect. I'm so unnerved by these. Look at this. Mo Look, I remember a time. <laughs> this was back away. I was writing for a, a, a show called... <laughs> Uh, no, there's the fall. Okay, so that went on, and that was just Chevy Chase clearly screwing around, and obviously it was a meta joke. It was a joke about them doing lazy writing and filling and filling and filling, and that's what the whole thing was uh, about. And that's one of the only times that Chevy Chase appears in the show, so he milked it for all it was worth, and then he did the big fall, and he opened up the show. And then Anthony Perkins comes out, and Anthony Perkins does his monologue. So here's a little bit of his monologue. He toys with the fact that he's known as a weird actor, and there's a fly buzzing around. And if you remember, at the end of Psycho, when uh, Norman Bates is being held in the police station, uh, he's talking as his mother, as mother, and there's a fly on his hand. I won't even swat that fly. So it's a reference to the fly in um, uh, Psycho that he won't swat, but he eats it. And uh, it's, it, he's very amiable. And by the way, his, his monologue might not be brilliant. Um, it does address the fact that he's known as kind of a stage actor and a weird actor, and that's known. And it continues. And, uh, it's, it, but he really sets himself uh, up. To, he's ready. He's energetic. He's on the ball. Um, a lot of uh, you know, uh, stranger or unusual hosts in the history of SNL aren't nearly as prepared as he was and didn't nearly have the comedy chops that this guy had. So watching this episode, I was like, God damn, Anthony Perkins was funny. And he was. He's been funny in movies, and he's you know, a terrific actor. But he really did like show up that night. So uh, here's a little bit of Anthony Perkins uh, giving his monologue. Being on this show is a completely unique experience for me. You know, a lot of hosts are overwhelmed by the fact that this show is live. That doesn't bother me too much. I've been in Broadway shows and doing live theater for years, so I'm used to that part of it. But when you get down to it, this is strange for me on another level because through the years, I've had the luxury of hiding behind the characters I've portrayed. This is the first time I've been in front of an audience as myself, not as a character, but as me, 
Just plain Tony Perkins. It's scary. You know, it is. It's very scary. This show is live, but I like that part. It gives you the opportunity to... It gives you the opportunity to see me as I really am. Public images are strange things. Sometimes people get unjustifiably stereotyped, either because of a role they once played, a publicized romance, or just a rumor. But this is actually a psychological experience for me, to have people see me, to accept me, to see me as I really am. And with that, he ate the fly and got a big laugh. And of course, that was, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a tip of the hat to Norman Bates, which he would do a little bit later in the show. Uh, and he would go on, that monologue would go on a little bit longer to establish him as ready to go. And he was, he was ready to go. Uh, and then uh, they cut to um, a, 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 throwaway, a throwaway repeated uh, returning uh, sketch, which would be the president uh, trying to roll the joint. And of course, at the time, Gerald Ford was president. And, you know, Chevy Chase played him as a bumbling idiot uh, during cold opens. He would fall over and knock stuff over. And the, the, the running gag, the running joke on SNL, and not just SNL, but everywhere, was that he was a buffoon, that Gerald Ford was a bumbling buffoon. Chevy Chase didn't attempt to do an impression of him at all, didn't look like him, didn't do a voice. He would just act like an idiot, knock stuff over, and fall down. And so uh, here is Chevy Chase's hands only because Chevy Chase can do a lot of really fun stuff and, and physical stuff with his hands. If you go back and watch an old movie like The Groove Tube, Ken Shapiro's old um, film, you know, um, um, sketch comedy sketches, uh, it's like Kentucky Fried Movie and, uh, and other films of the Tunnel Vision and films of that ilk, a whole bunch of different, um, you know, anthology sketches all strung together. Well, The Groove Tube, which featured Chevy Chase, there were three scenes in that that just featured Chevy Chase's hands because he can do a lot of physical comedy with his hands. So what came out of the monologue was um, uh, the president uh, Ford attempting to roll a joint, um, and it goes as well as expected. We will not listen to any of that because it's all visual, but basically it's Chevy Chase's hands fumbling around trying to roll a joint as, uh, as uh, uh, Gerald Ford. So you can imagine the genius of that comedy in there. And by the way, they did it three times during the show. It was a recurring gag where like after three or four sketches, they would do it again and they would come back. There's Chevy Chase pretending to be the president and his hands trying to roll a joint. And they did it three times and it was just as funny all three times, which means it wasn't very funny. All right. So then we have a therapy scene um, where um, uh, 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 Anthony Perkins is playing a therapist and uh, Jane Curtin is on the couch um, trying to talk to him, but he is like a theater therapist. Now, here's an interesting thing that I do want to mention really quickly. If you are watching this episode at any time um, and uh, you, you do check out, it's very interesting to see that the costume changes for Anthony Perkins uh, didn't seem to exist. He's wearing the same boots. He's wearing the same jeans. He's essentially wearing the same. He's got, he'll put a coat on or he'll put different costume pieces on. But essentially, there really aren't any major costume changes for Anthony Perkins. Like when he's dressed as the psychiatrist, he's got the jeans and the boots on. Later on, when he's playing the guy who's trying to pick up Gilda Radner in a bar, he's got the jeans and boots on. Uh, when he plays the sheriff, he's got a different shirt on, but he's got the jeans and boots on. So basically, back in those days, if, you know, if they got away with it, they didn't have to do full costume changes. Now, you have an entire staff who makes costumes for every specific scene and every single episode. And there are massive costume changes, and they never, ever repeat a piece of costume. Or if they're wearing street clothes, they only show up um, as extras, or they'll do it on the good nights when they're on stage at the end. But in this episode, and in several episodes in the first couple of seasons, it was common for the, for the host to not really go through major costume changes. And in this episode, it's really notable. It's really noticeable that Anthony Perkins is wearing like the street clothes or the clothes that he wore during the monologue throughout most of the episode with only little teeny changes in costume. And I found that to be distracting, quite frankly, knowing how much hard work the costume department puts in to Saturday Night Live and how much, you know, you change character and change looks from scene to scene to scene. Didn't didn't happen with Anthony Perkins. So anyway, 
uh, that I just wanted to mention that, that, you know, like when you hear the different variations of what's happening and the characters that Anthony Perkins is playing throughout this episode, just know that he's wearing the same damn clothes. All right. So anyway, here is a therapy session with a theatrical uh, therapist. And this is Anthony uh, Perkins and Jane. Hello, like that, I think. darling. <laughs> I think it's well, basically... Hello, darling. My own inability it's to deal with myself so great. as a... Woman. To have you I think back that if only I could come to terms with my belong <laughs> myself, or I think that I could really relate to men as men and, and me as Dolly. Dolly. And me as a woman, I think that there's a lot. Dolly, you're still um, glowing. You're still growing. You're still. Deal with after puberty, I had a really hard time. Think of the room swaying. And I thought, you know, I couldn't really. What was happening in my body? One of our old favorite songs from way back when. So just relax, fellas. Forget the entrance tax. Fellas, Dolly will never go away. Dolly will never go away. Dolly will never go away again. Not too quick. Next week, Brigadoon. <laughs> So it's, there's not much to the sketch, except that it was really, it's really fun to watch those two work together. Like Jane Curtin is really, you know, playing the part beautifully. Um, and, and, and again, Anthony Perkins is completely committed to this really silly sketch where a psychiatrist is basically singing a show tune with his patient and the patient joins him. That's it. It's a very simple setup, not particularly clever, but really nicely performed by both of them. Uh, and then after that, uh, another Jane Curtin heavy sketch. Uh, Gilda Radner plays a housewife who brings a woman in off from an ad that she saw uh, to help her learn how to be a better housewife. And then it's household hints from a dominatrix. And it turns out that Jane Curtin is a dominatrix. Now, this is a sketch that I analyzed uh, a few episodes back if you want to check it out. By the way, all of these episodes are archived. All uh, 42 other episodes of this podcast are archived at RadioMisfits.com. So make sure you check it out. But I talked about subversive uh, uh, sequences and subversive sketches from SNL. And this uh, dominatrix household uh, sketch is one that I've gone through. Uh, an interesting sketch, Jane Curtin does a great job, and you would not ever expect Jane Curtin to play a whip-wielding dominatrix, but she does a great job, and Gilda Radner and her have a fun time with that sketch. And then, following that is the best sketch uh, of the night in terms of what they did with, with uh, Anthony Perkins. And it's Norman Bates School of Hotel Management, and it's a commercial for a management school, a hotel management school that Norman Bates is going to teach you, it's going to teach you how to run um, um, a hotel and a motel. And um, it is written by Michael O'Donohue, the great crazy, the late great crazy, you know, uh, angry counterculture Michael O'Donohue. He wrote this sketch and it is great. Uh, there are a lot of beautiful visual cutaways to stuffed birds, as you know from the movie. Uh, he was a taxidermy uh, uh, freak and had a lot of stuffed animals and birds all over the uh, the, the hotel. So there's a lot of really wonderful, weird camera angles and close-ups of birds while he's talking. But this is a fake commercial for a fake school of hotel management run by Norman Bates, written by the late, great Michael O'Donoghue. Let's find out with a simple quiz. Question one. A guest loses the key to her room. Would you, A, give her a duplicate key, B, let her in with your pass key, C, hack her to death? <laughs> Question two. Which of the following is the most important in running a successful motel? A. Cordial atmosphere. B. Courteous service. C. Hacker to death. <laughs> Question three. How many... Important phone call, Norman. <laughs> what mother? 
important phone call. Well, I've got to go. I have an important phone call. Just one of dozens I get every week as a fully qualified motel manager. And if you'd like to become one too, simply send your name and address to the Norman Bates School of Motel Management, Old Highway, Fairvale, California. There's no obligation whatsoever and 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 no salesman will call so so you you you, you don't have to b bother to lock your door you know you can you can just <laughs> leave it off the latch or lock it that's fine i don't care i don't care if you lock it because i have the keys i have the keys right here i have the keys to room one and i have the keys to room two and i have the keys to room three norman <laughs> Coming mother. So very funny sketch. That's not the, that wasn't the whole sketch, but uh, it was from the quiz on. Very funny. Michael O'Donoghue wrote it, having fun with the with the Norman Bates character. And again, Anthony Perkins killing in the sketch and being there and not using the cue cards a lot. And that's another thing that I'd like to point out is that you know a lot of hosts use the cue cards uh, even to this day, uh, rely on the cue cards, especially if they if they're not really there 100% or if they didn't really care about rehearsal or anything like that. But Anthony Perkins stayed away from the cue cards. He looked like he was in the moment. He connected with the people that were on stage with him. When he was on stage alone, he killed. And that was a great bet. Anthony Perkins doing well. But then Anthony Perkins had to share the stage with the goddamn Muppets. Um, again, forcing the Jim Henson Muppets in a world that they have no business being in. Not that I don't like the Muppets because I do love the Muppets, but they had no business being on Saturday Night Live attempting to change their humor to... Uh, vulgar, drug-induced, and sexual. There's just no reason for that, and it always bombed, in my opinion. Some people liked it when the Muppets were on, uh, even though I, you know, I was 10 when Saturday Night Live started, and I still thought the Muppets were not good on SNL. So Anthony Perkins had to do one of many bits you know, that he would end up doing with the Muppets. That was next, and then there was a musical performance uh, by uh, Betty Carter after that. Um, and then another um, president rolling a joint bit. So we've gone from a Muppets bit where uh, Anthony Perkins unfortunately has to share the stage with the Muppets. We got a weird musical performance by, uh, by someone who had an off night. And then the second of three president rolling joints bit that doesn't work. But then Update comes in. And Update, uh, this episode, uh, the weekend update, of course, obviously Chevy Chase was your... Uh, was your anchor for Weekend Update. And it was, it was a really strong, a strong update piece. The bits were funny. They had uh, multimedia stuff. They did like a weird animated bit about a trial that was going on, and they were uh, showing what was happening in the courtroom through animation, and that was really good. Chevy Chase was really funny. His delivery was really good. The jokes were funny. In terms of cultural stuff, the biggest thing in the news uh, was the presidential primaries were happening at that time. Um, you know, they were ripping apart Gerald Ford as they did like every week. There were a lot of jokes about Ronald Reagan, who was attempting to, uh, to, to get the presidential nomination, the Republican presidential nomination away from Ford. And they were making a lot of jokes about there's no way Ronald Reagan, he's an actor, blah, blah, blah. There were a lot of, oh my God, can you believe that this idiot who was in Bonzo and this idiot actor uh, is going to try and attempt to, you know, run for president? Little did they know, <clears throat> you know, like four years later. <laughs> what would happen. But yeah, so there were a lot of Ronald Reagan jokes, a lot of primary jokes. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and that was, you know, the, the regular stuff. But then uh, Emily Latella showed up, but she, you know, Emily Latella, the character that killed her out in her place, never mind that whole thing. She was a regular on Weekend Update, and she had done a few uh, desk appearances as Emily Latella doing an editorial reply while Chevy Chase sat next to her. Well, in this bit, she did it over the phone. So it was Emily Latella on the phone. So you got Emily Latella, you got a whole bunch of Gerald Ford and, and primary jokes. Chevy Chase uh, really delivering well. A very funny fake commercial in between the two Weekend Update segments. And in the second Weekend Update, it was the very first time that John Belushi showed up at the desk. Now, I must say that this was when John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd were really starting to take off. This was when, actually, as I mentioned, all the cast members were starting to individually be known. But John Belushi was really starting to take hold. His stuff was sticking. His stuff was resonating with the audience. They really liked him. When they were introducing people at the beginning, his card got like a really big audience response and a cheer. People were starting to really love Belushi and Aykroyd a lot, especially Belushi. So this is notable. This weekend update is notable. And this is the very first time that John Belushi shows up doing a weekend update desk bit, which he would do several times. 
He's wearing a weird wig and a weird tie and a jacket for this. And oddly, as you'll hear, he is introduced as a meteorologist because he's doing a specific bit. But uh, this is John Belushi's very first time doing a desk bit on Weekend Update, and it sets the stage for what would follow years to come. Uh, last week, we made the comment that March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. Now here to reply is our chief meteorologist, uh, John Belushi, with a seasonal report. Thank you, Chevy. Well, another winter is almost over, and March true to form has come in like a lion and hopefully will go out like a lamb. At least that's how March works here in the United States. But did you know that March behaves differently in other countries? Norway, for example, March comes in like a polar bear and goes out like a walrus. <laughs> or take the case of Honduras, where March comes in like a lamb and goes out like a salt marsh harvest mouse. <laughs> Let us compare this to the Maldive Islands, where March comes in like a wildebeest and goes out like an ant. A tiny little ant about this big. Oh, unlike the Malay Peninsula, where March comes in like a worm-eating fern bird and goes out like a worm-eating fern bird. In fact, their whole year is like a worm-eating fern bird. Or consider the Republic of South Africa, where March comes in like a lion and goes out like a different lion. Like one has a mane and one doesn't have a mane. Or in certain parts of South America, where March swims in like a sea otter, then it slithers out like a giant anaconda. There, you can buy land real cheap, you know? And there's a country where March hops in like a kangaroo and stays a kangaroo for a while, and then it becomes a slightly smaller kangaroo. Then, then, then for a couple days, it's sort of a cross between a, a frilled lizard and a common house cat. Wait, 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 wait. Then it changes back into a smaller kangaroo, and then it goes out like a, like a wild dingo. Now, now and, and it's not Australia. Now, now you'd think it would be Australia, but it's not. Now look, pal! I know a country where March comes in like an emu and goes out like a taper, and they don't even know what it means, all right? Now listen, there are nine different countries where March comes in like a frog and goes out like a golden retriever. But that, that's not the weird part. No, no, the weird part is, is the frog. The frog part is... The weird part is... So, um, that's the, the, the very, uh, the very uh, first, uh, the very first desk appearance, uh, for, uh, for John Belushi. And as you know, he would do many more that would vary in style and in tone. He would be, uh, very, uh, mean to Jane Curtin, but he would do the heart attack thing and fall off, uh, every time. But that was the first time he did it. Very funny stuff. Notice, notable, absolutely, for the very first time. Uh, John Belushi did a weekend update. A very strong weekend update segment ends, and then a very strange sketch where um, Anthony Perkins tries to pick up Gilda Radner um, by saying hi. And it's a strange sketch. It starts out okay, and then, of course, the goddamn Muppets show up. I've got 45 minutes before I have to catch my train. Do you want to give it a whirl? Well, gee, I don't know. I've never done this before. Me neither. Well, um... All right. <laughs> Imagine, uh, who would ever think that just saying hi could lead to a romance? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, just put it on the bill. Hi! 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 Oh, hi! Hi! Oh, how are you? Hi! 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 <laughs> I'll meet you in about a second, okay? Sure. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Uh, uh, Mr. Merkin, can I talk to you for a little while? Listen, why don't you just call me Tony? Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, confidentially, I've seriously been considering leaving the Muppets and, you know, going on to bigger and better things. Do you know that you just interrupted a sketch I was right in the middle of doing? I mean, you know, I could do a weekend update. Uh, I could be new talent some week. Mm -hmm. And I don't always have to be a Muppet, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. I could play Emily Latella, too. Yeah, I'm sure you could. You know, listen, 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 listen. Uh, <clears throat> the other day, I was sitting at a lunch counter, and a man came in and ordered a cup of coffee and a toasted English Muppet. <laughs> I was outraged. <laughs> Besides the birthday, Rick would get stuck. 
The man obviously ordered a muffin spread, a cup of coffee and a toasted English muffin. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, great. Uh, so the sketch was actually not very clever and not very good. But again, the best part of that sketch was Anthony Perkins. And then, of course, he had to work with the goddamn Muppets again. All right. And then uh, the next sketch was another president rolling a joint bit. And then Gary Weiss and his not very funny film about cats and dogs in New York. Uh, Gary Weiss, who, again, was the poor man's Albert Brooks, in my opinion. And then you've got a B, which is, uh, as I mentioned before, Lorraine Newman, Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins plays a professor who was trying to explain the grade that he gave to Lorraine Newman, why he gave her a B. And that B is represented by John Belushi, who comes out dressed up in the B costume. So uh, notable only for the fact that John Belushi was so sick of that B costume and hated it so much that he would do anything to try and wreck the scene uh, because he hated it so much. Uh, um, so uh, it wasn't very clever. It, uh, you know, Instead of giving her a B, as in a grade, it's a B. It's John Belushi. And then they bring out a baby dressed as a B as well because she gets a B+. Plus. Um, not a great sketch. Again, the only person who was there 100%, like Belushi, seems a little bit out of it. He hates the B costume. Lorraine Newman doesn't have anything really to do in that sketch. So the only person that does anything worthwhile is Perkins. And then we go to the horror trailers where Anthony Perkins talks about he has been sort of stereotyped now because he was in Psycho. Now he's done a whole bunch of horror movies. So these are fake trailers of horror movies that Anthony Perkins has appeared in. Now, they weren't filmed. These were all acted out on stage. So this is not a pre-filmed segment with fake trailers. They were doing these trailers live on stage and, uh, you know, uh, and, and doing them with Dan Aykroyd doing the voiceover. Dan Aykroyd is playing the announcer, the voiceover guy doing the trailers. And just listen to the way Dan Aykroyd, I just want you to listen closely to this. Uh, they do three fake trailers for three fake horror movies of Anthony Perkins. One of them, by the way, is called Dress to Kill which uh, involves uh, Gilda Radner wearing a dress with a whole bunch of knives on it, and she would hug people and kill them with the knives when they would hug her dress. That's the, but, that's the joke. Not very funny. But uh, one of them is called Dress to Kill, which, of course, a few years later would be a Brian De Palma movie. But anyway, so listen closely. Uh, not a very fun, not And by the way, these sketches, this sketch is not funny. The trailers aren't very funny. Uh, uh, really sloppily written. Again, the one guy that is on stage that's doing a great work is Anthony Perkins. But listen to Dan Aykroyd specifically. He sounds wasted. He sounds way over the top. Um, this is really kind of his first appearance in the entire show. This is his first appearance in the show. He's doing the voiceovers, and man, does he sound a little ripped. So listen closely to this. Of course, many people first got to know me from Psycho, the classic Hitchcock thriller. But what people don't realize is that after Psycho, I must have made at least a dozen cheapo horror movies like The Big Midget, <laughs> Thirst for Solids, <laughs> Dial N for Nerder, <laughs> and A Pinch of Snuff. Now that last picture, A Pinch of Snuff, starred a very promising young South American actress who I thought had a very promising career. But it didn't turn out that way. Uh, it just didn't turn out that way. The following are the coming attractions for three of the best of these cheapo horror films. I'm thinking of having my hair straight, Tippy. Do you think it will suit me? Oh, Marnie, with your complexion, you could get away with practically anything. Oh, that's lovely. Thank it you. started as an innocent lunch. It ended in terror and tragedy. So, you were the asparagus? Why, I didn't order asparagus. <laughs> it was me. I, I ordered the asparagus. Oh, I'm sorry. Then it was you that had the hollandaise. Oh, no. The, 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 the broccoli hollandaise. No, no, no. Not, not the hollandaise. <laughs> but, Tippy, I thought, I thought you liked hollandaise. Terror <laughs> lunch. Terror lunch. 
lunch. You may never eat out lunch again. Warning, no one will be seated during the shocking Caesar salad sequence. Terror lunch. See it with someone you hate. She was the innocent dupe of a psychopathic head buyer at Bloomingdale's. Her only crime was in wanting to look great. Oh, I had the most incredible day shopping. Yeah? This man picked out my entire outfit for me. Well, darling, what do you think? Felicia, you look breathtaking. Oh, James, do you really like it? It's exquisite, darling. You've never appeared to be so glamorous. <gasps> oh! Gorgeous, you could die, and many did. Dress to kill. <gasps> Dangerous as she is devastating, she is groomed to a fault. And though she never suspects it, she is dressed to kill. He's not acting like he likes it. <laughs> Do not reveal the surprise ending you just saw to anyone. can I walk to school like the rest of the guys? Tony Perkins is the boy. Because you're not over your clothes yet, that's why. Tony Perkins is his mother. <laughs> but I'm all better and school's only a block and a half away. I said no. 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 Besides, you know what happened to little Stevie Brewster? The doctors say he'll never have a hairline again. The mother. She had a license. She had a license to drive. And she drove him to school. Tony Perkins is driven to school. Driven, driven, driven to school. Getting a lift was never like this. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> not good. Don't know what the hell Dan Aykroyd is doing with the da, 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 like the singing and the wi- Anyway, uh, so Dan Aykroyd doing the voiceovers, the, 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 the material is not good. But again, Anthony Perkins was 100% on stage trying to sell the shit they wrote for him. Unbelievable. So that ended, and then we got a fan film where they were they were taking uh, uh, you know films from people uh, in the audience, and they showed that. And then the second musical performance of the night um, by Betty Carter, and then the sketch that I wanted to do an entire episode about. This is the twelve fifty sketch. This is a train wreck of a sketch. Followed, by, this was actually following a bunch of train wrecky sketches that didn't really work out, except for the fact that Anthony Perkins was giving a thousand percent on stage. Well, this is the butt. County dance party. I still don't understand it. It's a disco kind of party that they're doing. And uh, a, a sheriff comes on stage with sunglasses on and the cowboy hat with a megaphone uh, interrupting this dance party in Butt County, which is in Texas. And it's a bunch of Texan kids trying to have fun and do some disco dancing in their winning prizes. And it's a police raid on a dance party where they're doing, like, ID checks and they're running, you know, it's kind of like a, an invasion of, of, of identity and privacy where uh, they're trying to shut down this dance party and take over the kids, and then there's, like, a raid that happens. I don't know. Al Franken and Tom Davis co-wrote this script with another writer, um, and to this day, I've seen this sketch a million times. You're only going to hear the audio of it. I don't know what the fuck it's supposed to be. I have no idea what, what the writers were trying to do. There are technical mistakes throughout this. Uh, at one point, a teletype machine comes on the screen two beats early, and then Dan Aykroyd has to improvise, Anthony Perkins has to improvise, and then the whole ending of the sketch, there's no ending. And then inexplicably, at the end, they have old footage of cars and crash test dummies crashing into walls. I have no idea. 
Um, I, I have done a little research on it. This, there, there have been articles written about this sketch. Um, but at this point, it, it was inexplicable. It was the 1250 sketch. It was underwritten. Anthony Perkins just came out with a megaphone and did the best he could. And Dan Aykroyd came out. He seems loaded. Belushi at this point was the end of the show. He seems loaded. Lorraine Newman doesn't know where the hell she is. And there's a whole bunch of people on there, including Al Franken and, and a couple of the Jane Curtin is out there and a whole bunch of other cast members dancing. Uh, by the way, no Garrett Morris in this episode at all, I would just like to say. Also very strange. So it was just really strange and it ended in this very weird, we have been partying all night and we're a little bit loaded and a half written sketch where there were tech problems, where it ended with cars smashing into walls, video, old video footage of cars smashing into walls. I don't understand it, but this is the Butt County Dance Party, one of the biggest WTF sketches in the history of Saturday Night Live. Don't know what they were trying to do as the writing, don't know what they were trying to do in the performances, and don't know what anybody was doing technically because there were all kinds of screw-ups. Anyway, give this a listen. It won't do it as much justice as when you watch it, and I really would suggest that you watch this unbelievable train wreck of a sketch. But here it is. Butt County Dance Party, one of the most inexplicable sketches in the history of Saturday Night Live. And again, the only person that tries to make any sense out of it at all who's committed to it is your host, Anthony Perkins. TV dance party. I'm Sheriff Rick Phillips, and we've got a chart-busting disco dance party today. Top tune, some real nice prizes, and all the kids from Butt County Senior High. All set for a whole lot of fun, dancing, and police supervision. Let's start things off with last week's Highway Patrol pick hit, Fly, Robin, Fly! Okay, that's plenty of that. Now, Let's get on down to our own disco deputy, Larry Rones, and our first spot dance couple, Larry. Disco Dance Mobile One, Disco Dance Mobile One right here, Sheriff. We got our spot dance winners right here, and our first uh, spot dance winner is uh, Mr. Dennis Templet and Miss Queenie Lusk, and they both go to uh, Butt County Senior High School. You work at Butt's Auto Glass After School, it says here, and uh, Queenie, you chew small bits of food with your teeth. According <laughs> to your dental card here. Okay, fine. These kids get down here today, all right? Uh, over, Sheriff, uh, how did you get down here today? Uh, we drove down Northside Road via exit 13. We came down Northside Road via exit uh, 13, uh, Sheriff, or? Exit uh, 13 still flooded out, isn't it? Uh, I'll find out for you, Sheriff, over. It's uh, still flooded out over there? Uh, dry, dry as a bone, but... Uh, but, uh, Says there drives a bull there, Sheriff. Right, but I didn't drive. A Queenie drove. It was her car. Her car, I, I, I Sheriff. I guess you say I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> Says he's a lucky guy, Sheriff. Uh-huh, I guess you are. Okay, yeah. Queenie, would that car be a 1966 metallic blue Valiant convertible? Well, 66 uh, metallic blue Valiant convertible. Well, that's right, with cutouts. How sure is, Sheriff. Over. Okay, well, Larry's got some real nice prizes for you. Come on, take it away, Larry. Yeah, we got some nice prizes. Dennis, we got Barry Manilow's album for you. Oh. Bring it over here, Luke. Oh. There you go. Queenie, because you're such a nice girl, we got a box of Dr. Stroker's leg care products for you. We hope you like that. Uh, now, as a special treat, we're going to run your names through the dance party central computer, okay? <laughs> All right. Ooh, Sheriff, something came up there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 o
what's going on? What if, this is not funny. And, and that is the predominant feeling during the second half of the show. Uh, but I'm telling you, if you ever see this sketch, you just heard it. Uh, it came at the end of a show that really started to, dera- to derail. And by the end of it, man, uh, you know, when they were doing the, uh, the Butt County, <laughs> the Butt County dance party, uh, I mean, the, the show had completely derailed. Good Nights came on, and as Anthony Perkins is giving away the Good Nights, the Muppets again take over and do the Good Nights and hog the camera. So that was the end of the show. Um, and I really wanted to, 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 to cover the entire show, not just the, the train wreck that was that final uh, Butt County uh, the dance party uh, scene, but to talk about this show in general as a moment in Anthony Perkins' career when he acknowledged what he was doing and let everybody know that he was still a really interesting actor at a time when he was doing stage work and at a time when uh, he was known only as Norman Bates, but made some headway in the world of comedy. So if you look back at that, you're like, man, if I were, if I were a producer and I was watching that show, I'd be like, I think I ought to put Anthony Perkins in a comedy. And that, I think, never really, never really happened, but it should have. He was by far the best and most consistent thing about the episode, which starts out pretty strong, has a great weekend update, and some notable, notable things that we pointed out. But not a great episode, but uh, some interesting stuff coming from uh, your host, who was Anthony Perkins. So that was the time that Norman Bates hosted SNL, March 13th, 1976, Season 1, Episode 16. Uh, my thanks to you for checking out this podcast. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun one that I love doing. We'll do it again next week. That show hasn't been funny in years in SNL podcast. Check out my other podcast, the Nick D Podcast. They're both at radiomisfits.com. Check out our live streaming at radiomisfits.live. If you have any questions or comments or contributions or any ideas for future Saturday Night Live podcast episodes, we got a voicemail system set up. Call up, leave those voicemails. I'll listen to every one of them. 773-417-6948. Email me to both podcasts anytime, any comments, any questions, any suggestions. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs and everybody at Radio Misfits. Jason Skaggs, the man responsible for that opening theme and this closing theme that you hear at the end of every episode. Thanks again for listening. I'm Nick DeGilio, your host. And this is That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. We'll see you next time. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow.